So glad to see you. Some folks are making it back from lunch. Who, who was not here in the first session that's here now? Oh, good. Okay. Good. Who's going to be here tonight? Okay. Good answer. <laughs> I'm looking forward to what God's got in store for us. Amen? And we, what we learned today, we have the confidence of what has been established in the heavenlies. That's the Word of God concerning God's purpose for healing. It is His will. Jesus fully revealed it in His ministry. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So everything Jesus did, He had to do to fully reveal the character and nature of the Father, right? And so what did He do when He came in contact with sickness? He brought healing and deliverance. And that's what Jesus has in store for us. So we praise God for that. I'm excited because look at how many ministers and agents of healing are here today. Amen? We just need the boldness to go forth and begin to proclaim the kingdom. Would you agree to that? That's, would you agree? Yeah. Uh, the people in the back are not agreeing with us. <laughs> would you agree? Yeah. Okay, good, good. Praise God. Well, um, this seminar today, having uh, Dr. Brown with us, is brought to you by our school, Discipleship Institute. So I'm going to give a little plug for our school. And um, we have an information table in the back. Discipleship Institute uh, is in its uh, eighth year. Is it eight years? Eighth, eighth year. And uh, it's a two-year Bible school. Uh, the first year you study the Word. And the second year, you study the Spirit. We teach you how to move in the dynamics of the Holy Spirit. So we're really excited about that. Our next uh, trimester starts April 5th, so you've got time to sign up for that. You can sign up for one or two classes, uh, Theology of God or the Prophetic. And so the Word studies are through the Theology of God. The, the Spirit studies is in ministering in the Prophetic. Um, love for you to participate and join in DI and uh, you don't need to attend the church to be a part of that. So tell your friends and, and get involved. I think you'll enjoy it very much. The courses are six weeks long and get you initiated in some of these topics. So these pamphlets and things are at the back table. Also, in relation to that, right now, the, one of our classes at DI is um, healing. We're doing, uh, I think, Craig, you're in the life of Christ. And yes, and, and the other class is divine healing and deliverance. Ergo, Dr. Brown is here to share on that topic. Amen? And so next month, when the next course starts, we're going to be looking at the prophetic, and we've got uh, guest speaker Jay Lee Grady is going to be our guest on Saturday, April 21st, and he'll be here Sunday as well. So take a look at that. Mark your calendars, because we'll have Lee Grady here for a Saturday seminar as well on ministering in the prophetic. So hope you join us for that. Amen. So let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? And ask the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give without measure. There is no measure to your grace. It's, it's unbounding, it's glorious, and it is abundant in its provision. Lord, would you extend such favor and grace today in our midst. There are people here today who have so many loved ones who are in need of healing and deliverance and health. Would you pour out into us so that we can pour out into them? Would you manifest yourself in this place today? That, Father God, the Scriptures become real. That, Lord, your promises are things that we partake in. 
of your divine nature, and your nature is so good. So we open our hearts to you to bring that forth now in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Brown, please come. Um, Appreciate your ministry and what you've shared, and please come deliver the word. All right. Okay, how many were not here this morning? Okay, so uh, I did kind of a demonstration uh, in, this morning of, uh, anyway, so, so we'll save some of the drama, uh, hopefully we'll save the drama, but if you weren't here this morning, you can ask people that were here this morning what happened, rather than me having to do another demonstration. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, just very quickly, as I was explaining how sickness in and of itself is a bad thing, and healing in and of itself is a good thing, and going through all this, and you can be a godly person and still sick, but sickness in and of itself is bad. And just going through the scriptures, I started to feel completely lightheaded and um, suggested we just stop and pray for a moment. And next thing I was literally <laughs> laying on my stomach. Very funny to think about. Uh, um, with folks surrounding me and praying, took, took a break and resumed. So in, in all my years of ministry and preaching since I was 18 and thousands of messages and all around the world in every setting, this, this was a first and just... Um, uh, anyway, so if at any point, if I'm speaking and just stop speaking, you can just come up and keep going, and then as soon as I'm ready, I'll dive back in, all right? We just kind of flow. All right. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, and what added to the drama is we were, we were broadcasting live on, on Facebook, which, you know, we've got a big Facebook audience, and I thought, well, this is even more dramatic here, but we, we stopped it before the drama, and then resumed after. So it was just our little live audience got to share in that together. Okay, unless you happen to share it on your social media, it's got shared somewhere else. And Anyone have pictures of me being laying there being prayed for? Because it just looked Pentecostal, right? It just looked like I was slain in the spirit or something like that. Just, right. It works. Someone sent me this, uh, this text, and, and I saw it during a break in my radio show. And it was... Uh, a guy said to this TV preacher, uh, could you please pray for my hearing? So the guy grabs hold of him and shakes him for about three minutes and pushing him and all this and grabbing hold of him. And he said, um, he said how's your hearing? He said, well, I don't know. It's in court on Tuesday. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was good. I thought, that's getting on radio today. That was... That was worth radio. All right, so we had laid out through the Old Testament sickness associated with curse, disobedience, healing associated with obedience and blessing, and and that coming into the New Testament with the coming of the kingdom of God comes the manifestation of God's healing, grace, and power, and that again, while we know godly people who are sick and that there's sickness that is not related to specific sin, that sickness and disease are in the world because we're in a fallen world, and that that's why in heaven there'll be no sickness, disease, and that as the kingdom of God advances, demons are driven out, sickness is healed, and that uh, along with that, this was something that Jesus gave his disciples, authority over demons and disease. We saw also the relationship between demons and disease. So that's, that's bad. Demons are bad. This is sickness and disease are in the bad category. So again, even if you know someone who got sick and got saved through being sick, or you know somebody, uh, the godliest person you know, and they're chronically ill, 
we, we don't judge the individual for being sick. We just say sickness in and of itself is bad. And, and no one ever wakes up feeling sick and says, wonderful, I'm so glad. You know, you know, you got a busy day ahead of you, or you got family coming to visit, or you got things going on with the kids, or you're, you know, one thinks, this is tremendous. I am in pain from head to toe. That's great. That's nice. No, you might say, Lord, I'm going to worship you and praise you no matter how I feel. That's good, you know? And, and no sickness or disease is going to stop me from praising you. Fine. Amen. But we know in and of itself, this, this is debilitating and, and can bring premature death. And, and that healing comes as a manifestation of God's life and goodness. What about John 14, 12? I'm just going to go a few more minutes, and then we're going to open up for, for questions, all right? John 14, 12. And, and let's read it in context, all right? Jesus has told the disciples he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Philip, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Just to pause for a second and think, you know, Jesus has been with these guys probably three and a half years at this point. And this is a pretty basic thing. You know, Philip still is not getting that he's manifesting who the Father is. It reminded me of a class I taught in the 80s, and it was a class about God's covenants and things like that. And right about the last class, right before the final exam, there was one gal in the class, she was an older student. I guess she just wasn't quite locked in. Because the last class, her second to last class, she said, she said, um, Dr. Brown, um, so what exactly is covenant? <laughs> so I was a little late to be asking something. You know, I kind of thought, have you been listening for the last 17 weeks? Well, here's Jesus like... Philip, Philip, just show us the Father. It's like, Philip, have you seen me? Seen the Father? You don't get it? Come on. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believing when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone believes in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, some people try to say that that is limited to the apostles. He was just speaking to the apostles. But the Greek phrase there, whoever believes in me, is is found repeatedly in John's gospel. And it means exactly what it says, whoever believes in me. It's not ambiguous in the Greek it's no more ambiguous, say, than in, in John 6, where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will, will never hunger, right? It, it's repeated over and over in John's gospel. It is a universal promise, similar to John 3.16, right? Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. So this is a universal promise. Now, some would say, well, then, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we doing the same works? Now, Obviously, he's not saying that whoever believes in him is going to do everything he did. Is there any record, say, of Peter walking on water? Is there any record of Paul turning water into wine? And obviously, we don't all rise from the dead like Jesus did in in that way. But, I mean, future resurrection, of course. But obviously, 
It's not saying that everyone who believes in him is going to do the exact same things that he did all of them, right? But I look at this as a divine invitation. Rather than saying, how come I'm not seeing certain things happening? My mentality is because I'm a believer, I will see, right? And, and, and between us as the family of God, we should see these different manifestations of healing and miracles through the body. Jesus had the spirit without measure. We don't. We're given the spirit in measure for certain purposes. But we should see through the body that same manifestation of the living Jesus. And then on a personal level, I remember really wrestling with this in the 80s as I shared some of my story at the the beginning of the session today. I remember really wrestling with this and wrestling with lots of these verses. And I, I just ended up saying, okay, because I am a believer... Therefore, I will see. Therefore, I'll experience these different things. And and what does Jesus say? I'm going to the Father, right? You're going to do this and greater things because I'm going to the Father. So he's going to the Father, which means he's sending the Spirit. He's going to the Father, which also means he intercedes for us. Something else to take hold of. Now, there's an endless debate about what does he mean by greater works, and you could say, you know, the 3,000 saved when Peter preached in one day, you know, and, and various things that happened that, that were different, you know, that we have certain things recorded in the New Testament that Jesus didn't do, that the disciples did. But I'm not even worried about debating greater works. Let's just do the same works. Right. Let's do the same works, then we can debate the greater works, all right? But whoever believes in me, do you believe in him? Yeah. All right, the works that he did will do also. That should be our expectation. And that has been the testimony of the church through much of its history. Healing, miracles, signs, wonders, following. Now, the end of Mark's gospel, you may have it in your Bible in in brackets, you know, and different manuscripts have it or or don't have it. I I feel certain that these are words that Jesus himself spoke and taught. And and at the end of Mark's gospel, you, you know what's written there. These signs will follow who? Those who believe. So whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. These signs will follow those who believe. It doesn't say they'll follow the apostles or the prophets or the pastors or the evangelists or the teachers or those with gifts of healing or miracles. These signs will follow those who believe, right? So they'll speak with new tongues, drive out demons, they'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Again, it doesn't tell you that every single believer is going to see the sick healed every single time, but these should be things that in a characteristic level are seen, that we pray for the sick and that sick people are healed. What's interesting is that when a lot of people are skeptical and wonder, what are we really seeing, and we prayed for someone that didn't get healed, and we prayed for someone with cancer, you know, Nabil Qureshi, you know, Muslim comes to faith and dies of cancer, it seems like the whole church is praying for him around the world, and he dies, why do these things happen, and when Johnny Erickson Todd is in a wheelchair, and why, and those are all fine questions to have, it makes sense to have those questions, but when you stop and ask the other question, how many of you have received a miracle from God, and, and then, you know, I'll put it up on social media and say, hey, I'm getting a lot of skeptics questioning things about healing today. So if you have a documented miracle, that there's no explanation for it, medical explanation, doctors can testify this was the condition before, after, you know, post it. And I started getting blown away by the testimonies that were being posted. I mean, dramatic and God-glorifying and amazing. Uh, I'm good friends with Craig Keener. Craig is one of the world's leading New Testament scholars. 
He's an absolutely brilliant man, uh, humble, loves the Lord, a lot of fun, spirit-filled, and um, just, you know, real genius. And he's written commentaries on lots of books of the New Testament, but his, uh, his commentary in the book of Acts had one publisher, but then they had to switch publishers. Because when he finished his commentary, it was 6,000 pages long. Okay? And while he, was, um, while he was working on it, he started a footnote about miracles. And the footnote got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then he realized, you know, this is going to turn into a book. And then ended up being two volumes, 1,200 pages. <laughs> started as a footnote. And it, it's, it's about the mindset that miracles are not for today, kind of a rationalism. And he traces where it comes from and, and then goes back to why we can believe the New Testament evidence for miracles, but then did a lot of research about miracles today. And in fact, you know, he has a PowerPoint presentation where he talks about miracles today, including people being raised from the dead and so on, and medical verification. And, and you know, he said a conservative estimate would say that there are 200 million people worldwide who've witnessed a miracle. And, and um, studies were done many years ago, and then you just see it fleshed out in an anecdotal way, but studies were done many years ago uh, by people on the mission field that would research you know, Hindus coming to faith or Buddhists coming to faith, or whatever, and the vast majority that came to faith had a miracle encounter along the way. Either they were healed or delivered, or they knew someone that was healed or delivered, or they witnessed it firsthand. And in, in 1989, uh, we visited Kenya to, to see Reinhard Bonnke's ministry there. And it's before that we uh, knew and became friends with him. And the young man that took over Christ for All Nations is a graduate from our ministry school in Pensacola, Daniel Kalenda. And of course, he's seen the same power of God manifest over there but we went over, I just wanted to see God using someone in miraculous power. And, and we visited Kenya in his meetings in 1989. And when we were leaving, the meetings were in, in Mombasa. But his meetings in Nairobi had gotten massive crowds. And then the, the, the president of his country decided that they were going to put the, the uh, meetings on TV and then, you know, and you don't have a few stations on, so pretty much everybody was watching this. So on the plane, going in and out, we were talking to people. And then in Nairobi, you know, stopping to fill the rental car with gas or stopping to get a meal, you know, just interacting with different people. I don't mean hundreds, but just different people while we're there. Every single person we talked to, everyone, and again, it wasn't hundreds, but it was just everyone had either testified of seeing a miracle through the Vonky meetings or knowing someone that was healed. And it was all about Jesus, you know, what Jesus had done. And one guy was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, in our village, there was a you know, lady who was crippled and she came back healed and we were all amazed and Jesus did it. And, you know, that's the power of the gospel. And this is happening in an ongoing way. And we need to encourage ourselves by what God is doing. Because many times, you know, life is challenging and difficult and and, you know, you kind of focus inward because of the problems, which is understandable, but we need to renew our minds, meditate on what Scripture says, base our theology on the Word, not on our experience, and then encourage ourselves by what God is doing. Testify. Share things. If you read some exciting report, share it with others. One of the things that happens when God's moving in revival, and I can say this as, as an eyewitness for years, 
is you know things are happening. You know lives are being impacted. You know people are being changed, right? Something's going on. But you don't know the full extent of it until you start hearing the testimonies. And then that supernaturally builds faith. And, and then it kind of goes, it, it, it multiplies and multiplies and intensifies because the more testimonies you hear, the more people have faith, the more people come, the more people are changed, the more you hear testimonies, and it's this extraordinary thing. So encourage one another. Even if things seem small, encourage one another with them. And, and never feel pressure. Just to be practical here for a minute, never feel pressure that you have to fake something. Please don't ever do that. You know, how are you feeling? Oh, better, better. You know, you always, I always wonder when I'm seeing some video of someone allegedly being healed, if you're hearing for the first time in 20 years or seeing for the first time in your life, I would ex- expect you to have an expression. Can you hear now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been 20 years. Yeah. Mm, yeah, uh, 20 years. And you can hear perfectly now. Mm, yeah, yeah. Now, look, maybe the person's a little shy, and, but what makes sense to me is, you know, I, I saw a video of, of someone praying for a guy just in a little sandwich shop in Israel, and the guy had tintinitis, this, you know, this ringing in his ear, he had eaten some wrong food, got some infection, ended up in his ear, so he couldn't hear out of that ear for 14 years and had constant painful ringing. That's all he had. And he was instantly healed, and he's weeping. He's in the sandwich store weeping and hugging the guy. It's like, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But never pressure. If God's really healed you, then doctors will verify that. You don't need to fake something. If God's healed you, you won't need your medication. It's not if you go off your medication, you'll get healed. If you're healed, you won't need it. Best illustration for that is uh, a friend of mine was rooming with a guy with really bad eyesight, and uh, he had asked for prayer. I mean, most of us are just used to glasses. This guy had these thick glasses, and um, he, he asked for prayer for his eyes, and he was prayed for one night, and the next morning, he gets up, he's rooming with this guy at a conference, puts on his glasses, and starts crying. And the guy says, what's the matter? My friend says to him, what's the matter? He goes, well, I can't see. My eyes are worse than ever. The guy said, take your glasses off. He was healed. <laughs> he was completely healed. So he couldn't see with the glasses. Uh, so when you're healed, you won't need the, the medicine. It's not that like going off of it is going to heal you, but when you're healed, you won't need it, right? So uh, we come down to the book of Acts, and we see that same pattern, Right? And it says in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, be my witnesses. And Acts 1.8 goes back to Luke 24.49, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And when you go through Luke's gospel, you see this pattern of, of power, dunamis in Greek, not, not being dynamite that blows people up. That's one of our Pentecostal teachings. It's the dynamite power of God. Listen, when the dunamis came out of Jesus, it didn't blow people up, it healed them. Okay? The woman with the issue of blood, dunamis, goes out of him and heals her. He doesn't say, you know, who touched me? There's a woman blown up here. <laughs> that must be the woman. No. So it's dunamis, our word dynamite comes from it, but in a different meaning, right? God's dunamis power, when you go through in Luke 135, that's the, the dunamis by which he's born, the virgin birth, or, or Luke 619, dunamis is coming out of them, or Luke 5, 17, the dunamis of the Lord is present to heal the sick, or, or Luke 9, 1, he gives them dunamis, power and authority over sickness and disease, you'll be endued with dunamis, power from on high, right? It's, it's not even there so much boldness to witness, which is part of it, but God's demonstration of power. 
right? So it's by the Spirit. So the question is, when did that change? When did the Spirit change? When did the dunamis change? When did the endowment from God change? So we see a pattern in the book of Acts. We see it's not just the apostles, but others like Philip that are, that are being used. And we see that the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2, beginning in verse 17, right, it'll come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. But notice, it'll come to pass in the last days. So that's the period from the death and resurrection of Jesus until his return. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years now. That's the period of the outpouring of the Spirit and sons and daughters prophesying and so on. This is ongoing. So when we get into the New Testament, the letters now that are being written, in 1 Corinthians 1.7, Paul commends the Corinthians that, that they don't lack in any spiritual gift waiting for the return of the Lord, right? And then in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives instruction about the gifts of the Spirit, which are given for the common good, right? So it's not just that the evangelist has the healing gift or this one. It's just given in general, right, through the body. This one has this gift, this one that. And gifts of healing are part of what the Spirit's doing. So apparently a special endowment for healing, an above and beyond endowment, or healing in particular types of diseases. You know, it's a debate exactly what's meant by gifts of healing. But that's part of what's given, right? And, and then 1 Corinthians 13 makes clear that these things will end when Jesus returns. That's when we see him face to face, right? That's when prophecy will cease and tongues will cease and knowledge will cease, right? Because we see him face to face. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a debate uh, with someone about are the gifts of the Spirit for today. And one of the guys was trying to argue. The debate didn't happen the place ended up having a cancel that was going to host it. But he has the view that Jesus spiritually returned in the year 70 when the temple was destroyed, and that's when the gifts of the Spirit ceased. I mean, it's a really bogus view. Uh, and I, I was basically going to win the debate in 10 seconds and say, how can I prove to you that Jesus has not yet come? Well, we're having this debate. That's the proof, because it says that when he comes, we'll see him face to face, and knowledge itself will cease. We'll know everything. Well, we're having this debate means we don't know everything yet, having an argument. But, but seriously, these things will cease when Jesus returns. And then 1 Corinthians 14, we're encouraged to earnestly seek the gifts, especially prophecy, not to forbid tongues. So here's my question. Um, is there an authority beyond Scripture? No. Do we believe that the Pope or the Catholic Church has authority over Scripture? And those who know the roots of this church, it goes back to an Italian Pentecostal denomination, which is where I got saved also. So we were chatting at the airport. I've been to Italy 25 times to minister now, and I've learned that the Italian Pentecostals have one tradition and one tradition only. If the Catholics do it, we don't. Anyway, if you, trust me. Go to Italy. You'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. But seriously, no Pope... No church, no tradition can overrule scripture, right? Do we have like another book like Book of Mormon? No, okay. What about, could someone stand up and prophesy today and overrule scripture? No. So Paul tells us to earnestly seek the gifts, right? To, to join that with love, that's the better way. Earnestly seek the gifts, especially prophecy. Don't forbid tongues. So who changed that? Where, where did that change? What mandate, what verse, what scripture changed? Nothing, right? So if, if all you knew was the Bible is true and you come to faith and, and you're in isolation, you're in a room 
and all you have is the Bible, you're, you're not in contact with anyone else for a year, you just read it over and over and over and over, you'd come out expecting to see the sick being healed and miracles happening. If someone told you that was just for then, that would seem just as odd as if salvation was just for then. Being born again was just for then. So we go through that in the New Testament, and then we even find in James, or in the Greek Jacob, the fifth chapter, look at what's written there. James, Jacob, the fifth chapter, verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the congregation to pray over him and anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. So even if there was sin involved, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So this is, again, something very basic. Who changed this? Where does it say that we no longer do that? One pastor was on enough to say, on enough, honest enough to say in a little radio debate that we had, he said that we do this because it's in Scripture, but we never see results. So that would make me wonder, are we praying in faith? And how can I be in faith if I don't know something is the will of God, right? Uh, look, if, if, uh, if you're rooting for you know, some sports team to win, right? You know, well, you don't know that it's the will of God that they win. I'm believing that they, well, how can you believe for sure when you don't know? It's just you want them to win because that's, that's your home team, you know? There are plenty of things we don't know the exact will of God, and therefore we can't believe for it specifically. We can say, Lord, have your way, or Lord, your best. We're asking you, you know, uh, to, do your, to do what's best, but we can't specifically pray for it because we don't know it. Yet anyone I preach the gospel to, I can tell them emphatically without question, if you'll put your trust in the Lord, he'll save you. I know he will. We have promises. So we exercise faith based on what we know. We pray the prayer of faith for the sick because it's our expectation that God's the healer. Now, we were talking about this with some of the healing team over lunch, that the people I know with the greatest healing ministries went through the most heartache and grief along the way. And some prayed for hundreds, some prayed for thousands before they saw the sick heal. One of my friends, a missionary in Italy, uh, prayed for a man just after a service, wanted an impartation of blessing, a local Italian brother. And then shortly after that, the man died of a heart attack. I mean, within a day. And when he went to pray for people, the next day they all stepped back. <laughs> I mean, some people have that experience. The more I pray for people, the sicker they get. Uh, but the people I know with powerful healing ministries, they persevered through it. For whatever reason, they weren't seeing people healed. They knew what God said. I know others with powerful healing ministries that they themselves were terribly sick or on their deathbed, or family members were terribly sick or on their deathbed. And, and because of that, they had no choice but to take hold of God. And that's when they saw the breakthrough come. So we just have to determine sickness in itself is an enemy, a destructive enemy. Even though, again, God can work in the midst of anything. And even though, as I said, you may be a godly person and be sick. So we, we, we don't make a judgment on the person. We learn from the book of Job that as Job was smitten and didn't know what was going on and why, 
his friends made the mistake of thinking, you must be some terrible sinner because only terrible sinners suffer these kinds of things. And logically, it shouldn't have happened. God's blessing was on his life. This shouldn't have happened. So they misjudged Job. Job, in his anguish, misjudged God. He said, God, you must be some kind of a monster. We don't want to make either error. If someone's sick and suffering, we don't want to say, well, something's wrong with you. And you know why we do that sometimes? To protect ourselves. Because if, if, if you could love the Lord and get sick, then maybe I could love the Lord and get sick, so there must be something wrong with you, you know? And we do it out of insecurity and weakness, and that's what the friends did with Job as well. So that's on the one hand, right? That, that you're going to judge that person. Don't do that. On the flip side, don't do what Job did and change your beliefs about God because of someone's condition. Instead, Understand that sickness itself is an enemy. It's part of a fallen world. Sometimes it's the work of demons. Sometimes it's associated with sin, but it's, it's an, a destructive enemy. We know God made our bodies amazingly. He made our bodies to function amazingly. As, as I changed my lifestyle and started eating healthy, it was amazing how everything just shifted completely with, with my health and, and, and vitality, notwithstanding our little episode earlier. I'm, I'm thriving by God's grace. Um, and, and uh, you know, my assistant Dylan will testify to it. It's only once or twice I've shamed him into working out with me. Otherwise, I can't get him to work out with me. You know, so I, I'm, th- I'm thriving. But you realize that, that God made our bodies this way. And when you see what sickness and disease do, I'm, I'm not a doctor, very little medical knowledge, but it, it's totally destructive. Totally destructive. It'd be like you take this masterpiece of a, of a, of a painting and start throwing dirt and junk on it and scratching it. That's what sickness and disease do to our body. And, and Satan wants to destroy it. So that's our attitude, that we're going to confront this. We know that we suffer for the gospel in terms of persecution and opposition for the faith. That's one thing. We know that sickness and disease come to rob and destroy. So we're, we're going to attack that as an enemy. We're going to attack it in faith that Jesus is the healer, that everything we need has been paid for at the cross, and out of that flows life and redemption, and if we pray for 10 people and they're not healed, we go to pray for number 11 with expectation, with faith, and with confidence. And, and I remember in the 80s praying for a young man and losing him in a battle with cancer, and, and, and I had to speak at, at a, a service the day before the funeral, and, and I, I went from there, I remember I, I held myself together and spoke because I, I didn't want to you know, be emotional in that setting, got in the car sobbing, and then just drove straight over to a meeting where we were praying for the sick at our school. It's like, <laughs> I've got to just go and pray with even more passion now, right? And then ultimately, a believer, fine, they go to be with the Lord. That's wonderful. But if that was the goal, we just shoot everybody, <laughs> right? If the goal is just, you know, get saved and go to heaven, then, you know, wonderful, right? Or just eat ourselves into a premature death, you know, whatever, right? Um, so heaven's wonderful. We're going to be with the Lord forever. But this is where we get to do the work, Amen. All right, so obviously there's more we could say, but I just wanted to lay out basic biblical foundations and, and take the rest of the time for your, for your questions. Just two things we ask. Uh, one is, is, please give a question. I know many of you may have great testimonies. Share those with one another, okay? Find different settings to do it. So it's not the time to share a testimony. That's one thing. And then second thing, sometimes you may feel the need to give your whole story, how you got saved, where you come from, you know, etc., to give us context. But for time's sake, so we can get to more questions, if you could really zero in on the question, 
that would be awesome, all right? So there are two mics that are available. I guess we'll just go to each aisle here. If you have a question, as long as you, if you can't move, you you're, have to stay where you are, you can raise your hand, someone will come to you. But otherwise, you can, you can stand up. Is, is that the best way? Do you want to go yeah. with the mic? or? Okay, so if you have a question, raise your hand, and um, we'll start one at a time. And by the way, the proper way to do this is you can never have two people near each other with questions. It always has to be one in the front, one in the back, one in the front. One in the, it's just kind of the rule. It's in. Stand up, please. Can you address uh, many recent years in the faith and confession movement, they've come up with a formula. You have to this, 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 and if you don't have the right confession, you'll get healed, and a whole bunch of formula for healing. Yes. So number one, there is no simple formula that works, like, you know, take this pill twice a day and, you know, guaranteed results. That, that, that reduces God's working in it, and it kind of oversimplifies things. There are principles that are good principles, all right? So in, in the word faith movement, there's some good principles, there's some negative extremes. A good principle is to speak the word of God over yourself. You know, for example, not in the area of healing, just in general, let's say that, you know, you always feel weak and defeated and I'm kind of wimpy. Well, it's a lot healthier to confess what the word says. In Jesus, I'm an overcomer and we're more than conquerors through him and Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. So confess the word, get the word in your heart, your mind. That's a great biblical principle. There are many biblical verses that tell us to do it. Renew our minds with the word, right? You know, I'm, I'm loved by God and in him and declared righteous. And so that's a good thing that, that word faith people will do. They'll confess the word, they'll speak the word, and they'll say that's, that's the ultimate reality, what the word says. I've got to renew my mind and, and come into that. The negative is, sometimes there is a denial of reality. Um, you know, the best illustration being years back when, when um, someone was really aggressively pushing their beliefs on, on my wife Nancy in, in, a, in a hyper way, enough said there, uh, and just, you know, kind of boasting about how much faith she had and how she was walking in victory, it got so obnoxious that Nancy finally pointed out to her, well, you know, since you've gotten into this, you've put on a lot of weight. Uh, to which she replied, well, I'm thin in the spirit. So, uh, you know, this whole idea that I don't have sickness, I have lying symptoms, you know. Really, no, I'm already healed. It's just I have these lying symptoms. I used to tell people, I don't mind the sickness. It's the lying symptoms that are bothering me. Um, so there can be this lack of realism that you can't even tell someone I'm sick. You know, you have to have, find code words, you know, by the stripes I'm healed. In other words, pray for me. So that's problematic, and I've seen many people over the years, they can't share honestly what's going on in their lives for fear of a negative confession. And, uh, and for fear that the things you fear are going to come on you, which then puts you in greater fear. As opposed to the, the biblical confession is that the fears of the fears of the righteous are not realized. Um, I, I remember speaking to word faith people years back, and I asked, I asked the women there, married with kids, I said, how many of you had a fear that you weren't going to meet the right person? Every hand. 
How many of you had a fear that, that you, you, uh, you weren't going to be able to get pregnant? Almost every hand. How many of you had a fear when you were pregnant that something was going to be wrong with your baby? Every hand. And how many of you have healthy kids today? It's like every hand. It's like, so the, these fears don't come to pass. The moment I start thinking, if I say, oh, I said, well, I've got to grab that word and pull it back, you know, because I created a new reality with my word. It, 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 it gets us, to me, in, in not only an unrealistic state, but, but uh, a, a dangerous state where we can't even speak candidly and honestly. That being said, if I, I know people that have taken hold of the promise, and they know it, and they know it, and they know it. When I, had, I, I got stricken with pneumonia when I was in my 20s while teaching on healing, actually, I came down with pneumonia, and the doctors couldn't understand how a healthy young man got it, and I got hit with viral and bacterial pneumonia at the same time. Talk about a demonic attack. And for a week in the hospital, every day, I would, you know, they checked me, and I was sick, and they'd x-ray my lungs, and they were filled with, you know, I was miserable. High fever, and, and uh, one morning, uh, and I was working on my doctoral dissertation on God the Healer, <laughs> and um, one, one, one day, I... I just wrote down on the you know, bandage, because you had you know, intravenous, I wrote down in Hebrew, I'm the Lord your healer. And I said, God, a billion years from now, when there's not a sick person in, in the universe, you're not going to be any more the healer then than you are now. And, and I asked some students, I said, agree with me in chapel, because I had chapel that morning, agree with me that what God's word said is my experience, you know, that, that I'm healed by his wounds. And that, that morning, everything shifted dramatically. I remember I called Nancy and said, I'm coming home today. She said, she said no, don't rush. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm coming home today. She said, look, I know you just want to be home. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm coming home today. And I remember the doctor walked in the room. He said, what are you doing here? The hospital's for sick people, not for well people. It's just shh. And I remember on, on the way to get my x-ray that morning, I told the x-ray guy, I said, today's x-ray is going to show a dramatic difference because every day it was the same deal, same deal, same deal. I said, it's going to show a dramatic difference. He said, sir, we can't make... I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm telling you, it's going to show a dramatic difference, which one lung completely cleared, the other almost entirely. So all that to say, there is something where you take hold in faith, but then that, let that be relational faith, that as you're walking with God, you know that you know, you take hold of it, then you speak it. Or you simply declare, this is what God says, and I agree with God's word. But the idea, it has to be done this way, this way, this way, this way. No, don't, don't lock it into a formula. This may be useful and helpful for you. Uh, I was saying over lunch, one, one brother I know who's a, a street preacher, uh, prays for the sick all the time, and for years he prayed for the sick and saw almost no results, until he said, no, I've got to do it the, the New Testament way. And before he prays for the sick, he declares that the kingdom of God has come to you and you're going to be healed, and he sees miracles all the time. And he teaches people, do it just like that. So my question is, what if you declare to the person the kingdom of God is here, you're going to be healed, and they're not healed? He said, but that's a biblical way, and I do it, and we see results. So if that works in someone's life, and they find scriptural foundation for it, great. But it, it has to be just like David fighting Goliath. He couldn't wear Saul's armor, right? So don't feel constrained to do something the way someone else does. And if it doesn't bear witness with your spirit or make sense to you, then don't just do it because someone else does. Okay, question... Yes, ma'am. Hello. Um, I seem to be stuck in the Old Testament and the um, Sinai Covenant about health and wellness are blessings and the lack thereof are curses. Mm -hmm. How did Jesus change that and make that so it's not so anymore? It's, it, it's, I, I can't get around where they, they, if they were obedient, they had health, 
because that's what God told them would happen, right. but now the obedient don't have help. Uh, right. So, okay, great question. Thank you. Number one, let's, let's recognize, again, that healing was a good thing and sickness was a bad thing. That never changed. That which was a curse under the Sinai covenant did not become a blessing under the new and better covenant, right? That which was a blessing under the new and better covenant did not become a curse. Excuse me, that which was a, a blessing under the Sinai covenant didn't become a, a curse under the new and better covenant. So that, that's clear, number one. Number two, this was a promise to the nation as a whole. Corporate Israel, if you will obey as a nation, that you'll be healed. So of course they never did it on a corporate level. They, they never saw that, right? Now on an individual level, they knew sometimes that gross disobedience would bring with it judgment, but that hasn't changed in the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter, Paul explains why many of the Corinthians were sick and some had died because they partook unworthily of, of, of the Lord's Supper. And then James Jacob 5, if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So sometimes sin and sickness are related. Other times they're not. Uh, Exodus 4, God said he made people blind, deaf, dumb. He's the creator. He said to Moses, I, I made everybody. I gave you your mouth. I can fix it, right? So it doesn't, even in the Old Testament, not everyone that was sick was associated with sin. You could be handicapped, etc. But we know, number one, that corporate obedience would be cor bring corporate healing. Number two, that sometimes individual sin would bring specific sickness. You know, but you have instances where, where someone dies prematurely because they're righteous. Like God takes somebody out of the way with sickness because there's judgment coming on a nation. So it's not just a monolithic thing e even there. But we now, we still have the New Testament mentality, which has made healing available to many more people. But look at it this way. Look at it that it is now a bonus and a blessing where God heals many people that wouldn't have been healed under the Old Testament. That, that Jesus, because he sets captives free, brings healing grace to people who wouldn't deserve it, to people who've been unbelievers, right? So just like in the Old Testament, you didn't have 100% results because you never had Israel obeying God 100%, right? So in the same way, you know, we don't see that in the New Testament, but we see tons more people healed now than we ever would have. And because Jesus has become a curse for us, it's by grace, not by works of obedience. So the thing to get past is that you have to work hard and live a certain way in order to be healed. What you need to do is receive it as a gift, but understand that in this world, we still have things we don't understand. That's why the book of Job is there. In this world, again, you may have godly people that aren't healed, but we want to we want to accept this is happening. It's happening in abundance, and it's happening above and beyond obedience. Sure, and then still, like for me, if I went back to eating the way I used to eat, that would be disobedient, and and I have no question for me that it would bring negative health results. I have no question whatsoever. In other words, aside from just the natural pattern of eating unhealthy foods over a period of time is gonna bring negative health results. I know in my own life it would be specific disobedience and spurning of God's grace and would have negative consequences. And there's some of you, you know, God delivered from something very dramatic and you know you play with that, you're playing with fire, you know? But aside from that, if, if I'm sick, I don't ask God to heal me based on my merit. I ask him to heal me based on his goodness. And what if you overwork, you push too hard? Well, that happens to Epaphroditus in Philippians 2 
and Paul says God had mercy on him. So there's a sense of looking at every healing as an extension of God's mercy as, as well. All right, next question. All right. You spoke on taking uh, the Lord's Supper unworthily. Yeah. Could you just give us a brief uh, thing uh, about what that, what that is? And if it has to be in a question, for example, could you harbor unforgiveness and partake of the Lord's Supper? I mean, I know the answer to that. Right, right. Okay, so in context, if, remember this was not um, in the early church just passing a plate, you know, with little wafer pieces and, and, and uh, you know, grape juice. This was part of a, of a feast. This is part of people gathering together for a communal meal, right? So what was happening in Corinth was that people were getting their early, eating the food, the poor would come, there was nothing left, and they were getting drunk on the wine. So this is a pretty serious abuse of the Lord's Supper, okay? You know, getting drunk on the wine and, 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 and abusing what was there for others to partake of and not recognizing what it represented, all right? So it's a pretty, a pretty serious issue. Uh, that's, that's number one. And if we were to do something like that, you know, th- think, think of an abuse on that level. It, it would be a serious, ugly thing. No wonder that's, that some had died and, and many were sick. And by the way, uh, scholars estimate that the Corinthian church at the time that Paul wrote First Corinthians was maybe 50 to 75 people. And yet many were sick and some had died. So it's pretty, pretty severe, right, to be able to say that. Uh, so we should then examine ourselves before we partake, right? So if, if I have murder in my heart, you know, I, I, I decided to take out some adversary and, and hire a contract on them, and, and, and I'm sinning in my heart and and, uh, and, and uh, which, by the way, I actually uh, talked to a guy in Italy. He came asking me if it was okay for him to have a contract on someone as long as he wasn't doing it himself. <laughs> so you thought, what a crazy illustration. I actually remember sitting with the guy and discussing it. Uh, <clears throat> but any, anyway, um, so, so obviously to now partake of communion or, you know, you leave your wife and you're living in adultery, right? And, and you partake of communion, and in the midst of that, you're doing it unworthily. And could it bring judgment? Well, yeah, it, it could be. And, and that's why it's good to examine ourselves first. And then we have fallen short to ask for forgiveness. But if I knew, if I was determined to sin, and I was planning on sinning, I could not possibly imagine taking communion. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, you, you, you avoid it entirely because your heart is hard. So that's the abusive thing, as opposed to if I didn't examine myself perfectly, or if I had a blind spot that I wasn't aware of, that, that uh, you know, when I took communion, I'm just saying I'm going to die. You know, it's like I take it and my hand starts to shrivel because I didn't examine myself. It's not some heavy thing. It's a life-giving thing. But the abuse is, is a serious abuse. Now, some also say not rightly discerning the body, not recognizing that we're the body and lack of love, but I don't think that's the the primary reference there. But it's a serious abuse being discussed. Uh, yes, sir. Hi, doctor. Uh, my, my question is, you spoke earlier this morning and you re- made reference to the Jewish Bible. 
what's the most authentic translation that we can use? Okay, so I'm happy to answer that, but uh, unless we run out of healing-related questions, we'll, we'll just focus on healing-related questions. Um, there's, there are many good translations. Uh, because it's my field, I find fault with everything. You know, I, I, I have a commentary that, uh, coming out on the book of Job, and I did, a, I, I did a fresh translation of Job for the commentary, and, and I'm not entirely happy with my own translation. I keep, you know, looking at it and wanting to sharpen it and improve it. Um, but if, if you want to get a new translation that has sensitivity to the Jewish roots of the faith, it's done by a good team of scholars, get the Tree of Life version. Tree of Life. Uh, and and it's, it's by a team of, of, uh, of scholars, Jewish and Gentile believers. Uh, I participated on, on some of the books. Tree of Life version, it'll give you a good sense of the Jewish roots of the faith, you know, right through the whole Bible, but it's, it's a good good readable translation as well. Thanks, so. All right, questions. All right, boy, we're staying in one little row here. That's, yes, sir. Would it be uh, improper to say that God brings at certain times sickness upon people? No, it wouldn't be improper. The question would be for what reason or at what times. So understand, uh, yeah, go ahead. The reason I mention that is because we've had discussions over the years about that at Bible studies and so forth where some people say, you know, being that God, every good and perfect gift comes from God, then God could never do that. So it, he has to allow the devil to do it or something like that. Right. Well, well so, okay, that's the other question, though. How does he do what he does? In other words, he, to my knowledge, he never sends sickness and disease as a blessing to his obedient children. As I understand scripture, we may suffer persecution and opposition for the faith. God's not sending that persecution. That just comes with the the territory and the turf. But to my understanding of scripture, God never sends sickness and disease as a blessing to his obedient children. That's the first thing. The second thing is if he brings judgment through sickness and disease, how does he do it? Normally through intermediaries. But again, that's, that's judgment, and the judgment is, is sent uh, as a punishment for sin. The judgment is sent uh, to, to wake up others. The judgment is sent to deal with wicked. So it's sent as a judgment because in itself, it's not a good and perfect gift. You know, I, I, I look, we have, we have friends who have um, uh, a... Their grandson is terribly handicapped. He's, what, three-something years old now? Um, and he's, he's still tiny, just, you know, just like a, a baby a few months old. Can't speak, anything like that. Has almost died 50 times, maybe? Uh, I mean, he's uh, under constant medical care. And he's surpassed all expectations as to how long He's going to make it and keeps having these breakthroughs, but still, you know, can't communicate uh, for much of his life was in, was in terrible pain. A lot of the time, you know, has to be fed through a tube in his stomach. So for the mother, the grandmother, other nurse help, it's just, it's a, it's a constant thing. Um, you know, you're talking loss of sleep. You're talking loss of, of everything. And this has been around the clock 
and constant specialist trips and surgeries and everything, you know, as, as of today. Um, and the mother and father and the grandmother and grandfather who are solid believers, believe in healing, say that it is the greatest blessing God's ever gave, given them, this child. Uh, they pray for healing constantly. They pray for others to be healed. Um, there is a, a rare genetic issue that one in 200 people carry. And the only way you have a baby like this is if the person you marry also carries that. So one in 200 finding another one in 200 is, is, is actually a very, very rare thing. Um, so, you know, do you just go ahead and have lots more kids? No, you, you can even think of that unless you felt faith that they'd be healed. In other words, it, it's, a, it's a terrible hardship, terrible difficulty. And I don't know what their theology would be in terms of why the child is sick or who's responsible for, you know, is the devil sent it, is it God's plan, whatever. So I know people that through sickness and disease have drawn closer to the Lord. And, and that again, like in this case, the good that's come out of it, the lives that have been changed, how they've learned things about love, and this is the greatest thing that's ever, the greatest blessing God's ever given them. And yet I'd still make the same statement that in and of itself, sickness and disease are curses, not blessings. But when you look at judgment, God's sending judgment in the Bible, right? So when he smites the firstborn of Egypt, who does it? The destroying angel, okay? Uh, take, take a look in, in Revelation chapter 16. In my mind, there are two wrong theologies One wrong theology just thinks that all sickness, all disease is all sent from God for a purpose and that he may want to heal, but he probably doesn't want to heal. We say probably doesn't because you don't only see sickness healed. doesn't want to heal miraculously, so you just have to accept it as part of his sovereign plan. That's one theology that, that I don't see as scriptural, although I appreciate the faith and the submission and the honor of God. The other one that I see is unscriptural is that even in judgment, God will never send sickness, disease, because he's good, everything he does is good. I appreciate them being jealous for the honor of God, but they forget that, that he does work through everything for his purposes. So Revelation 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. So this comes from the temple, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Now, I know it's, it's, it's the book of Revelation, the, language, the visions are symbolic and all of this, but the bottom line is, from the temple, a voice comes to pour out God's wrath, and when God's wrath is poured out, it brings this terrible judgment with it. So notice it's not a blessing for obedience, but it is something that he sends in judgment. That being said, do I think that as a general rule, God uses sickness to chastise his people? No. Is it impossible for me to accept that? No, it's not impossible. But as a general rule, do I see that as, as the pattern? No, I don't. Now, sometimes sickness comes as a result of our disobedience. You know, we don't take care of ourselves properly. We abuse our bodies. We end up sick. Sometimes, again, it's, it's a matter of, we, we opened the door to the enemy, and God just lifted his hand of protection, and sickness came. 
Uh, and no matter what happens, we're going to praise God because he's good. But I'm not going to say that the sickness itself is good. And generally speaking, uh, God's chastisement can come in a thousand other ways other than sickness and disease. And I, and I think even though it's not a perfect analogy, we have to ask how do we treat our children and what's our desire for our children and how does love express itself? We do discipline, but how do we discipline, right? And what are the goals in it? All right, other Questions. All right. The mic is on its way. <clears throat> the, I don't know how to answer Christians when things come upon them and they say, but God allowed it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's the same thing you just addressed, but I, I have a friend that just broke her wrist, and she, she's just really baffled why God allowed this. Mm-hmm. All right, so first thing, everybody watch carefully, okay? God allowed that, all right? Just one. And I picked it up, he allowed that. In other words, everything that happens, he allows. If he didn't allow it, it couldn't happen, right? So everything that happens, every single day, 24-7, God allowed. And, and I don't want to belittle what someone's saying, but, yeah, God allow everything that happens, God allows. And if, if he stopped everything that was contrary to his will, or he intervened constantly, we'd have no human life. We couldn't even make a choice, ever. You know, the, the, within seconds of, of the creation of Adam and Eve, that would have been the end of, of the world. Let's stop right there, because he couldn't allow certain things to happen. So, number one, let's understand that everything that happens, he allows. If he didn't allow it, it couldn't happen. Doesn't mean he likes it. Doesn't mean he, he enjoys it. Doesn't mean he approves it. But if he didn't allow it, it couldn't happen. So that, we, we start there. That's, that's number one. Uh, no, number two, some things happen through our negligence. Some things happen through, you know, years and years of patterns of this and that. You know, what if God showed analytically that if this person had been doing certain exercises that they used to do over a period of a year, that their body would have responded slightly differently, in which case, when they fell, they wouldn't have hit the, the wrist and broken it. It's like, in other words, there's a trillion things, a trillion reasons for everything. And, and what we do know is we're, in this world, you're going to have problems. You know, broken wrist, yeah, it's a problem, and it's going to be a hardship. You're busy with things you can't do. I, I don't mean to downplay that. And, and I'm, you know, I'm glad my wrist isn't, isn't broken. Um, but bottom line is, Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you'll have tribulation. There's going to be problems, the least of which is, is breaking a bone here and there or, or falling or slip. You know, look, I was playing basketball the other day with, uh, with my uh, sons, sons-in-law and grandsons, and I did what I've often done playing basketball, which is, you know, go to grab a rebound and the ball hits my finger, and I, and I, I don't think I... I busted it, but I've broken or fractured most of my fingers or at least torn ligaments or tendons, whatever. Um, so my solution is I've retired. <laughs> you know, my thought was not, why did God allow it? But that's, it, it happened, you know? So we're as careful as we know how to be. There's the joke about a Calvinist who believed in predestination and an Arminian who believed in free will, that, that they both fell down the steps. And the Calvinist said, thank God that's over with. And the Arminian said, next time I'll have to be more careful. Okay, if you didn't get the joke, don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, everything that happens, happens because God allows it. If he didn't allow it, it wouldn't happen. 
Many times he mercifully intervenes in the midst of real crisis and when we should have been destroyed and and we should have hit that car, that car should have hit us, he mercifully intervenes. Or someone wants to take us out and, and he mercifully intervenes. But normally the course of life is just allowed to happen. And in the course of life, you, know, you may slip and fall. And in the course of life, you, you, know, you make certain mistakes. It's just, that's what happens. And um, it would be nice if we could get through life without ever having a broken bone, or ever having a scratch, or ever having an issue, or ever getting sick, or ever having a bad day emotionally, a bad hair day. You know, it would be nice if we could just skip through life like that. But that's, that's not real life. And these things are going to happen and God allows them to. And then the other thing is that whatever happens, what we do have control over is our attitude, right? So, you know, last night at the airport when I got annoyed with the folks because of the, the problem, you know, with the, with, with the ticket, and when they kept asking me, when did we ask for a refund? I said, we didn't. Well, when did we? I said, the problem's on your end. I assure you it's on your end. So at a certain point, I had a choice. Am I going to be honorary here, or am I going to honor the Lord and have the right attitude? So in the midst of it, that's what glorifies God, how we respond. You know, do we glorify God? Do we praise him anyway? And look, here's, here's a little theological debate for you, okay? Take a look with me in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 18, what does it say? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, right? Now look in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, in everything. Ephesians 5, give thanks for everything. So here's the question. Okay, give thanks in all circumstances. So car, you hit some rut in the road, car spins funny, you end up off on the side of the road, you know, you're on your way to an important engagement. Next thing, you're on the side of the road. Car is out. Are you going to praise God in the midst of that? Okay? That's one thing. Thank you, Lord. You're good. I rejoice in you no matter what. You're faithful. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to praise you, etc. Okay, that's good. That's healthy. That's, that's a good spiritual attitude. Are you also supposed to praise God for what happened? Lord, I thank you that my car drove off the side of the road. All right, so is it saying give thanks for everything, meaning for everything God does? Or right now, right now, think of this for a minute. All right, I I got some awesome news. I just want you to praise God for me. Just got a report from Nigeria that more girls were kidnapped by Boko Haram. Let's just give praise to God for that. Think, what? What? Oh, I just want to rejoice. Just got word that, that, that our best friend's uh, cousin's daughter just got diagnosed with leukemia. Come on, let's give praise to God for that. No, obviously not. So we give thanks to God for 
everything he does, and in everything, we thank him and praise him. So, unless you want to say, you know, oh, we've got great news today. Rape is up in our city by 20%. Let's just give God thanks for that. Thank you, Lord, for all these rapes. It's obscene to even say those words, okay? I'm not giving thanks to God for what the devil does. Oh, I've got some great news. Let's, Pastor, let's praise God. Remember Johnny, he's been coming faithfully. He's now backslidden and has denied the Lord. Let's just praise God for that. Of course not. Of course not. We praise God for everything he does. And in every circumstance, no matter what's going on, we thank him and praise him. The craziest, most ridiculous circumstances, Lord, I'm going to praise you. You're good. Your mercy endures forever because he's always good. So in the midst of being sick or bedridden, I'm going to praise God, Lord, you're good. You're the healer. You're faithful. Uh, you turn everything for everything that Satan means for evil and the world means for evil. You turn for good. You praise him. You worship him. Nothing steals your joy. But you don't praise God for the sickness itself. You can praise God for what he's doing in the midst of you being sick. You can praise God for lessons learned. You can, you know, pray, you know, whatever it is, give thanks to him. And if there's nothing good going on in your life at that moment, you're aware of just praise him because he's good. Lord, I feel lousy. I'm in pain. I'm depressed. I have no friends. Everything's going wrong, but you're good. and I'm going to praise you because you're good. You know, so it's, it's, it's a different attitude. And to me, that's, that's the way we approach everything going on. We praise him because he's good, even though things themselves may be bad. Make sense? Okay, questions. Yes, sir. A few times in the gospel, it mentions that Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion, and he healed them all. Well, in a multitude, there's a variety of people, different ages, spiritual conditions, amounts of faith, mm-hmm. um, but he healed every single one of them. But then when he was in his own hometown, it said that he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Yes, sir. So I don't understand why in one case he healed everybody. I mean, not everybody there must have had the same amount of faith. So, And then what about, say, in the synagogue, when there were people who were hostile and challenging him, so full of unbelief, and he healed anyway. So, great question, sir. Let's, let's first look at one of those examples, say Matthew 14, 14. And, and remember, he often healed out of compassion. He raises the widow's son in Luke 7 out of compassion. The man with a severe skin condition in Mark 1, he has compassion, Right? Luke 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Perfect example, right? And, and, and yet, uh, we have Mark 6, where it gets into that in, in, in the greatest detail. In Mark, the sixth chapter, what does it tell us? Let's take a look there. Mark 6, 